Well, good morning. You can all be seated. Uh, welcome. It is wonderful to have you here at Salem uh, with us. My name is Ken. I am our Connections Pastor, and I get to talk to you about community today, which is something that is extremely important uh, to me and I think is important to God. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series called Cave Plus Table Plus Road with an emphasis today on the table. And I titled this message, One Anothering, uh, because there are so many one another's in the Bible. One Anothering, Finding and Fostering a Spiritual uh, friendship. God has wired us up to need spiritual friends in our lives. And so we're going to talk about that uh, this morning, looking at a particular passage where we see this lived out so well. Uh, at Salem, our mission is to live lives of love with God in community and on a mission. And uh, this morning, I just really want to encourage you to consider what your spiritual community uh, looks like. As we talk about this at Salem, uh, there are three areas that we are in particularly uh, focusing on in our table gatherings. As we've looked at the uh, life of Jesus and what he modeled, uh, what we believe are really important. And let's go ahead and show the next slide. Uh, there are, as we gather together, whether in groups or one-on-one, -on -one, when it's a spiritual friendship, to be stirred by Scripture together, meaning to dive into the Scriptures together, to let God's Word uh, work in and through our lives, to struggle uh, well together, to be authentic with one another, and to have deeper conversations, and then to serve one another well. So, some of what I'm going to share with you all today, I shared in a message about three years ago, but I think it bears uh, repeating. Uh, it is, uh, well, if you're anything like me, you struggle to remember what was shared last week, let alone three years ago. So uh, hopefully you find it helpful. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, my wife, Vicki, and I started attending Salem in September 2016. And when we got here, I got to meet a lot of you. I got to have coffee with some of you and meals. Uh, I felt loved and I felt welcomed and I started to build some uh, friendships. But it wasn't until six months later, uh, in February of 2017, uh, that we joined and helped to start a life group with Eric and Jen Wienanen. And we gathered with 12 to 14 uh, people on a weekly basis. Uh, we told one another about what was going on in our families, the struggles that we had, the hopes that we had. We struck, or, uh, studied scripture together. And you know, that changed my experience here on a Sunday morning. Because when I would come on Sunday, all of a sudden I would run into people in the foyer in, this, in the worship center here who knew what was going on in my life, who I knew were praying for me, I knew cared about me. And it, it really helped my spiritual journey and my sense of belonging. And it's so important and critical that we are in uh, spiritual friendships together. So what I want to do first is build a case for why community is so important. First off, if we look at the life of Jesus... If you look at the life of Jesus, uh, when he turned about 30, he started his ministry here on earth. And what did he do immediately? He gathered 12 disciples around him. 
He invited 12 disciples into his circle of friendship. And then there were three guys that he got especially close to, Peter, James, and John. As you read the scriptures, you'll frequently hear of them being together in more intimate settings. And so uh, Jesus invites these guys into community. Uh, They eat together. They travel together. They uh, observe his teaching. They observe how he interacts with people. Uh, They see how he has healed people. And so Jesus, in his ministry, existed in in community. All right, then I want to go back to like the first page of the Bible, not even the first page, the first few verses. God himself, our triune God, has existed in community for all time. When you think about it, uh, God God had, um, I've got to find my spot here. Uh, so God the Father, God the Father uh, creates the heavens and the earth. God the Spirit hovers over the earth, and God the Son, the Word of God, speaks creation into being. And so for all of eternity, God has existed in perfect community with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you go from chapter 1 to Genesis, of, of Genesis to chapter 2, and then it says uh, in chapter 2, for it is not good for man to be alone. And God creates a mate for Adam. And so community was God's idea. It was his plan for spiritual relational health and for growth of his kingdom. But you may not know this. Uh, Science also supports our need for and the benefits of spiritual community. Uh, In Pastor John Ortberg's book, I love the title to this book, Everybody is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Isn't that a great title for a book? Anyways, he points out uh, the medical research that emphasizes our need for and benefits of spiritual community. Ortberg says, being in meaningful relationships is life-giving in the most literal sense. So one of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Alameda County Study, and it was headed by a Harvard social scientist And they tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the people that were isolated were three times more likely to die than those with good social connections. People who had uh, bad health habits, such as smoking or poor eating habits or obesity or alcohol use, but strong relational ties, lived significantly longer lives than people who were, had bad or great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it is better to eat Sandy's Donuts with friends than to eat broccoli alone, okay? Harvard researcher Robert Putnam notes that if you belong to no groups but join just one, your chance of dying over the next year actually cuts in half. And then in another study, Uh, reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Catch this. 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. The study found that the people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off the illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, they had less virus, and they produced less mucus. Yeah. So the, uh, 
<laughs> these people were less susceptible to colds. Um, they produce significantly less mucus than the isolated subject. This means that it's, it's literally true, less mucus. Unfriendly people are snottier <laughs> than friendly people. All right, so, so we need community. Uh, Jesus uh, showed us or lived and modeled community. God exists in community, and science. Science supports the benefits of community. Uh, but let's look uh, for a moment at the big picture. Uh, in, in Romans uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 5, we read this. So in Christ, though many for we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all of the others. You know, in the economy of God, every follower of Christ is a brother and sister in Christ. We are all children of God and we belong to one another. And the beauty is that God gives us lots of instructions on how to do this well, how to love one another and to treat one another. So there is a phrase uh, in Greek, uh, alelon, 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 alelon. It's found a hundred times in the New Testament, and it means one another or each other. So one another or each other is found 100 times in the New Testament. 59 times it's specific instructions on how we should treat one another or not treat one another. Here's just a few examples of those one another's in the Old Testament, ways that God wants you and I to treat each other. He says we belong to one another. He says be de devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Be patient with one another. Look to the interest of one another. Consider others better than yourself. And the most repeated one another in the New Testament, it was uh, repeated 16 times, love one another. It's just peppered with this language of one another and how we should treat each other. And it sounds hard, doesn't it? I mean, in reality, this sounds hard, but it also sounds so beautiful, so amazing. Can you imagine if we treated one another in these ways? I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning or your Bible app to Mark chapter 2. We are going to look at a passage of Scripture in there, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, this parable, not a parable, this event is frequently called uh, the man on the mat. And we're looking at it in Mark's gospel. I want to tell you a little bit about Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel was written by a guy by the name of John Mark. And it's believed that this gospel was actually the eyewitness account of what Peter had seen. Like he is recounting the story of what Peter had seen. And so this is from Peter's perspective. So we pick it up in Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It starts, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, Jesus was growing in popularity. He was known for performing miracles and for being a godly and gifted teacher. And people heard that he was in town and everyone wanted to hear him speak. So in this home, which possibly was his home, in verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. 
He preached the Word to them. People gathered to be stirred by the Scriptures. And when you think about this moment in time, Jesus was probably frequently recounting the Old Testament, telling of the Scriptures in the Old Testament, but at the same time, He was reciting what would become the contents of the New Testament, and these people were being stirred by Scripture together. So the home is overflowing, Uh, You can't get in the front door. Everybody wants to be close to Jesus. Everyone wants to hear what he has to say. The house is crammed with people, so much so that people are overflowing onto the porch. But there's a group of guys that arrive, a group of guys on a mission, a mission to help a friend. Verse 3, some men came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Uh, in Peter's or in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he talks about carrying uh, uh, one another's burdens. These guys were quite literally carrying their friend to be seen by Jesus. Now we don't know much about this man on the mat. He was paralyzed, which means that he was fairly helpless. Uh, his mobility was limited. His means for making money was nil. His benefit to his friends would have been limited to his words or his personality or his disposition. Uh, Being paralyzed in the first century meant his whole life was limited to a three-foot by six-foot mat. He would have been at the mercy of friends and family to go anywhere. And reality is we all have brokenness in our lives. For this man... This three-foot-by-six-foot mat was his greatest symbol of brokenness. Uh, His mat reflected his inability to move, his inability to provide for himself, to get from one place to another. It was reflective of his reliance on others. His mat had been a shadow of his insecurity, a symbol of depression, a flag of poverty. Now, we all have mats. We all have mats, places where we're hurting, strained relationships, self-doubt, an addiction. Maybe it's to spending or to gambling or to eating or to shopping or to approval or to self-harm. Maybe our mats are uncontrollable anger. Or maybe it's anxiety that keeps you awake at night or away from others. Maybe it's your tongue and you just can't seem to control it. But this guy, this guy had friends. He had spiritual friends. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, we're instructed to care for one another. In Galatians 5.13, we're told to serve one another. And fortunately for this guy, he had four friends who did both. They cared for him and they served him. They cared deeply about him, friends that wanted to help him with a very real need. But when they arrive at the house, things are not as they might have hoped. Verse 4, since they could not get in, or since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. One of these ambitious friends, though, would not be deterred by the crowds. And he says, to the roof. And he takes the group up on the roof, much like Hebrews 10.24 says, let us encourage one another unto 
good works and good deeds and to love. And so these guys head to the roof. They climb up. They gather over the spot that they imagine that Jesus might be preaching. And then they start to dig and claw into the roof. Now, it would take no small skylight to lower their friend through. They needed a man-sized hole to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. I can imagine Jesus below preaching. You know, all of a sudden he hears some noise up there and some dirt and maybe palm leaves or straw or rubble starts to fall. I think most of us would probably be bothered if somebody was digging a hole in our home, right? Yet I just kind of picture Jesus there probably smiling, shaking his head. I wouldn't be surprised if like he took a step back to make sure none of the debris or a person would fall on him. And somehow, these determined friends contrive a first-century pulley system to lower this paralyzed guy on a mat onto the floor in front of Jesus. But think about this. Once his limp body is lowered, the man would not have been able to do anything. Everyone would have been staring. And this guy has to just lay there. It might have gotten quiet, it might have gotten awkward. Then we're told in verse 5, when Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, the man made no request. This man said nothing. He did nothing. He just had friends who, as in Romans 12, 10 says, were, that were devoted to him and that had faith that Jesus might do something. And then Jesus does he saw their faith and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Quite honestly, I'm not sure what the man was thinking right then. Like if he was super grateful or if he was kind of disappointed that Jesus hadn't remedied his paralyzed situation, his paralyzed condition. But we do get to hear, I don't know what the man was thinking, but we do get to hear what some of the religious elite were thinking. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, this reminds me of the passage that Pastor Seth covered last week in Galatians 5.15 when he shared with us, if you bite and devour each other, watch out for you will be destroyed by each other. Maybe some of us are quick to criticize. Maybe we like to sit on the sidelines and complain. Maybe we criticize about a coach's decision or we pick apart a sermon or, or we doubt the motivations behind someone's behavior or we want to slam the other political party or we second guess their parenting practices. We need to be careful not to bite and devour each other because if we do, we'll be destroyed by one another. Now, I mentioned earlier that, this, that the Gospel of Mark was uh, Peter's retelling of this story. And I can't help but to guess that Peter maybe got a little joy out of this next piece as the teachers of the law were questioning and challenging his rabbi, Jesus, his teacher. Immediately, Verse 8 says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, 
Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? You see, the religious leaders challenged Jesus' authority to forgive sins. And since it was pretty difficult to determine whether or not someone's sins were forgiven, Jesus says this in verse 10, but I I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The New Living Translation says that he jumped up. He jumped up. So Jesus lets them know, not only... Not only can he forgive sins, but he can perform miracles, healing people of unhealable disabilities. Look at what happens next. As the man, I just skipped ahead. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. So the New Living Translation here says he got up, he jumped up, and walked out of the place. Um, imagine Price is Right. Bob Barker calls your name, and you jump up out of your seat, right? I mean, this guy, all of a sudden, he is healed. And he's blown away. And I like how it says in full view of them all. I'm guessing everyone's in awe. People are stretching their necks to see this miracle. And I also wonder if this doesn't mean that this man danced his way down the aisle and right out of that building or out of that home. Think about it. The man was paralyzed. His muscles would have been atrophied. His balance would have been skewed. But somehow Jesus restores his strength and his muscle, and his balance, and the man picks up his mat and walks out the door. And then verse 12 says this, this amazed everyone, and they praised God. We have never seen anything like this. Now, here's the deal. We all have mats, uh, struggles or baggage that we drag along through us, uh, with us uh, through life, uh, sins we can't seem to overcome, Uh, shame we haven't been able to shed, Uh, pain we can't part from. We all need someone, or we all need people who are able to help us carry our mats. Maybe even people who are able to help us get rid of our mats. So here's my question for you. Who is helping carry your mat? Who do you have in your life that's helping carry your mat? Because of this man's spiritual friendships, his sins were forgiven. Because of his spiritual friends, his body was healed. Because of his friends, he could walk across the yard, across the street, across town, across the country. Because of this guy's spiritual friends, his hope was restored. And because of his spiritual friends, people praised God. So this next portion of the sermon, I am going to go quite a bit off script because I didn't like how it went in the first sermon. So here at Salem, you know, we've wrestled with what we feel like is important to do as we come together in community groups, whether it's life groups or Bible studies, or even if you're just getting together one, two, or three at a time. And so show the next slide. We really are hoping that people will be stirred by Scripture together, meaning that you'll spend time digging into God's Word, that you'll learn with one another, uh, that we'll struggle 
well together, that we will be authentic and know each other's story, and that we'll serve one another well. Here's what happens when we're stirred by Scripture together. Go ahead to the next slide. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but when we gather in a group and we are stirred by Scripture together, it accelerates our spiritual transformation. It increases our understanding, it expands our perspective, and it makes God's Word reside more deeply in our hearts, minds, and soul. So it accelerates our spiritual transformation. There is something about when the people of God get together and talk about the things of God together uh, that accelerates our spiritual transformation, like my growth. It's one thing to show up here on a Sunday. I mean, it helps my spiritual growth. I learn some things, but how much more when I sit down with a few other people and chew on God's Word together? I learn from them and their experiences. It increases my understanding as I find out how they've understood this text to mean and what experience they've had with it. It expands our perspective as we hear how other people have wrestled with this thing in their lives. And because, because we dive into it with other people and we talk about God's Word together, it makes God's Word reside more deeply in my heart, my mind, and my soul. Let's skip to the next slide where we talk about struggling well with one another. When we struggle well with one another, what we mean by that is we really want to encourage people to be in authentic relationships. I mean, it's really easy to talk about the Dodgers and the weather, or the bison and the weather, if you'd prefer, or my fishing trip, or my son's game. And those things are great icebreakers. That's a great way to start to build a friendship. But when we talk about struggling well together in authentic community, we want to get authentic, like be real with one another. We want to tell people what's truly going on in our lives. We want to know people that we uh, invite to peel back the onion layers, if you will, to know a little bit more deeply about our hurts and our hang-ups and our hopes. When we struggle together, uh, it encourages us. We talked a little bit about that. Hebrews 10, 24, spur one another on, encourage each other, not giving up on the habit of meeting together. It helps us through tough times. Think about it. You know, uh, Romans 12, 15, which is mentioned up there, says, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's actually encouraging, right? It's great to have cheerleaders in our lives, people that will come alongside us and encourage us and be truly happy when good things happen for us. Uh, some of us have people in our lives that are not happy when good things happen to us or for us. And if you feel that way about something, that's really not a healthy, ass or a healthy perspective. We want people who rejoice with us as we rejoice, but the backside of Romans 12, 15 is to mourn with those who mourn. I can remember about three years ago, all prior to COVID, uh, our life group, one of our life group members, uh, her father was in his last days of life. And he was in a hospital at Sanford over on University. And he was on palliative care. And as a life group, we came to the hospital room and we hugged and we talked and we prayed and we tried to bring a comfort to her and just love on her. And so being in, uh, struggling well together and being in community helps us through those tough times. 
It's also life-giving. Uh, being in community is life-giving. You know, I think about uh, the greatest powder day or hitting an awesome golf shot or catching a big fish or watching a moving movie or going to a concert. It's always more fun with somebody else. And we already talked about how important it is to be in healthy relationships because it means we can eat more Sandy's Donuts, right? Uh, but we talked about how it was life-giving or is life-giving. Something else you might not think about is it helps us beat our demons. It helps us beat our demons when we struggle well together. Uh, that verse up there, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. There is something about being in community, being able to be authentic with one another, where we can truly express the struggles and sin we have. You know, one of Satan's greatest lies, he wants to believe that whatever you're facing, whatever you're battling, that you're in it alone, that nobody else will understand, that nobody else gets it, that you are the only one and you are so messed up, you better not tell anybody. And he loves it when that's where you're at. That's one of those lies he wants you to believe. But when we come together and we confess our sins to each other, those sins lose their power over our lives. It's like they're lifted from us. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And we start to tap into the most powerful force in the universe, our God, to help us overcome the things that we've been battling. And the final one, struggling well together fosters love. The verse up there is John 13, 35, and Jesus says uh, this in that verse. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love one another is repeated 16 times in the New Testament, but I want to talk about why it fosters love. When we struggle in authentic community, when we allow people to see who we really are and we get to see other people and who they really are, I mean, my empathy grows for people when I get to know their story, when I know what's going on in the background. So often, like, we just see the action, right? We see the behavior and we want to be quick to judge. But when I know the woundedness, when I know the things that they've overcome, when I know how they've been hurt, my love for them grows, my empathy for them grows. And when that happens in our lives, it fosters love. And now I have no clue where I am in my notes. Let's go to the next serve one another, serve one another. You know, something else we want to do is we want to serve one another well. Uh, this was just a few things I thought of. Uh, serving one another helps people to feel welcomed and feel loved. Uh, serving one another helps people feel accepted. Uh, it meets practical needs. You know, some of the one another's in the Bible are be hospitable to one another, accept one another, be devoted to one another. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that. The King of Kings showed up on the face of planet Earth and said, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to have everybody answer to my beck and call. I came to serve you. And he calls us to do the same thing. And when I think about my relationship with my wife, Vicki, uh, one of the things that has helped us grow in love for one another the most is just serving each other. It's amazing how serving another person uh, draws you closer to them and they feel blessed by you. And it's such a blessing to serve them. You know, I, I, I know that it can be hard for some of us to find and foster uh, spiritual community, especially if we're guarded or we prefer solitude. Uh, some of you in this room 
uh, may have tried spiritual community. You went to a life group. You reached out to somebody to be a mentor, and it didn't work out. Maybe they rejected you. Maybe you thought they were hypocritical. Uh, maybe there's scars and wounds that exist there. And then you start to adopt this belief, and the belief is this. Spiritual friendship's just not worth it. It's not going to work out. We're going to dislike each other. They're going to hurt me. And it's a cyclical cycle, and it starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because then what happens in my life, like, if that's the way I feel, that's what I project to everybody. And then people are less likely to want to be my friend because I'm guarded. I'm standoffish. And so if that's the case for you, gosh, I just hope and I pray that God would reveal that in your life and would give you the courage and desire to take a risk, to try spiritual friendship again. You know, God loves you and he knows your needs and he knows uh, who might be a good friend for you. Spiritual friendship is God's desire for us in an important way to mature, to mature faith or an important pathway to mature faith. Uh, when we grow in our relationship with God and others, we're growing in relationship with Him. I encourage you to cultivate a spiritual friendship in your life. Rarely do I stumble into true spiritual friendly friendship. Life is too busy. Life is too complex. You usually need to work to find and foster fellowship. So try something different. Here are a few thoughts. Let's go to the, this slide. What could you do to find and foster spiritual friendship? First off, I would say pray. Pray. Uh, one of the things I would pray for, if you are resistant to spiritual friendship, ask God to reveal the hurt to you and to heal that hurt in your life so that you are willing to take a risk again. I would pray that God would lead you to the right spiritual friends, whether it be a community group or an individual God knows your needs. God knows who else is in this church. God knows who else is following Christ. And there's every one of us needs to have spiritual friends and pray that God would lead you to that person. I would also pray that God would give you the strength. Maybe you're in spiritual friendships already. That he would give you the strength or the courage to take that relationship to the next level, to start to talk about the things of God, to ask about the activity of God in your friends' lives, to ask them how they dealt with that in, in, in sight of what the Bible says. Okay, be a spiritual friend to someone. You know what? Sometimes the best thing we can do is be a friend. You can send a text Make a phone call, invite somebody to coffee, have just a, a, a video chat with them. I know we're like in this weird season where it's not so easy, but start by being a spiritual friend. Maybe there's something you love to do, cross-country skiing, boating, ice fishing, whatever it is. Invite somebody to join you in on that. You could kind of call it like speed dating, right? You could just get to know somebody a little bit by inviting them into that and see if that might not be a good uh, person for you to become a spiritual friend uh, with. And then we want to be intentional about taking the conversation in a spiritual uh, direction. Actually, uh, Pastor Seth has modeled this so well for me. I will tell you all, you know, as a kid, we didn't talk about our feelings. Everything was always fine. We talked sports and weather, and we kept it as surfacey as we could. 
but Seth asked me the tougher questions. He asked, how, how, how is your cave time? Or if there was a spat, you know, so tell me more about that. And we really want to be people that will go deeper with each other, that we will ask one another the questions that allow us to truly understand what's going on in one another's lives so that we can love each other well. The third thing is to join a group, join a group. I have to admit to you all that COVID has got me so frustrated and conflicted when it comes to community. It has just been so hard to do community in this season. We don't know whether we should meet face-to-face. We don't know whether we should wear masks. We don't know if we should do stuff online. And everybody's got a different feeling about that. Um, and so it's just been a struggle. We have seen our life groups and our, and our community groups kind of fizzle down and peter out. To, and so I really, really, I, I know we're not free of this thing yet. I know it's not like, hey, let's take the gloves off and go. But we really want to regenerate uh, community life here in our church. We want to get people plugged in to groups. So something you can do today, uh, if you're here and you're thinking, I might take a risk on spiritual friendship, or I really do need to be in a community group or a, a life group. Uh, out in the foyer today, we have a number of friends that are part of open groups. Go ahead and show the first picture. We have a young adults group uh, that's being led by Emily and Allie and Colton and Dermont. They actually are just kind of relaunching. Next week on February 7th, they're going to have a a launch event. Uh, Go visit them after service. You can find out kind of what that looks like, when they're going to be meeting, about the study they're going to be doing. Great opportunity. Let's show the next slide. Um, So we've also got uh, Dave on the right side there, uh, involved in men's groups, uh, sermon follow-up on Saturdays, there's a Monday night navigator study. He also leads our Living Free Recovery Group. If you're an individual that's just like, boy, I have struggled with some things and I need to get a group of people around me that I can be real with and will pray for me, uh, consider talking to him about the Living Free Group. Both, that's Matt on the left. Both Matt and I will be at the Life Group's table. Matt uh, is part of the leadership of a Sunday night Life Group. My wife Vicki and I are going to get a new group going on Tuesdays, and then there's another group that's going to get going. So I would love to talk to you about that if you want to find out more about Life Groups. Uh, is that all of them? No, we've got the ladies. I'm sorry, that was... Last time I thought there was one more slide than there was. That was what that was all about. So Sarah Carlson, Sarah Carlson heads up Bible Study Tuesday. There's like seven women's groups that meet both Tuesday morning and Tuesday evening. Uh, Lori Lynn is uh, part of a women's life group that meets on Sunday nights. Additionally, Karen Swanson leads a group on Tuesday. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities uh, for women to plug in. So go by that table. There's four tables set up out there. Reality is... Um, We've got those opportunities. Adult Sunday school is a great way uh, to connect with other people and get to know people. Prayer groups, sports groups, recovery groups, so lots of ways. But we really, really need to be intentional about uh, getting into spiritual friendship. All right, here's the questions I want you to ponder as we we leave. Uh, The first question for you is this. Who do I have that I struggle well with? Lots of us have surface friendships. Lots of us have people we call friends. But who is it in my life that I trust and that trusts me that I can struggle well with? If there is someone, how can I continue to foster that spiritual friendship? If there is no one, pray for God to guide me. 
Pray for God to guide me. All right, next question. How can I be more intentional about struggling well with those already in my life? We have got to say, you know what? As uncomfortable as it might make me feel or as uh, fearful as I am, I'm going to turn the conversation to Jesus and I'm going to ask questions about how that person is doing in their spiritual journey. And I'm going to get more intentional about having conversations about God. And then the final question, who might God want me to pull together around the table? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I need to be one of these people that starts a group. And I would love to start getting people together and invite people in to do a study together, do a book together, something like that. Friends, This has been a tough season for a lot of people in a lot of ways. And I know every one of us needs to have spiritual friends in our lives, people who love us and who we love, people who know us and we know, people who care for us and we care for. So let's pray together to that end. Would you stand with me and then let's bow our heads and pray. Father, Uh, For all of time, you have existed in community. Like we think about different ways that we can grow spiritually and we think about reading our Bible and going to church and doing other things. But one of the cornerstones to all of this is being in community, a Christ-centered community where we can look to you, where we can lean on one another's faith, uh, where we can love and be loved. And so God, I pray for each of us, whether we have fears surrounding community, whether we have obstacles, uh, whether we are just not sure Uh, whether or not we can um, meet face-to-face. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find community, help us to find spiritual friends, and help us to be a spiritual friend. Father, do whatever it is we need in our hearts and our minds to make that happen. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Jody, can I have one more second? Yes, sir. I meant to tell our online audience. I missed it. Uh, online, check in the chat function. There is a, another way to commu- uh, connect with community there. There is going to be a Zoom group where you can find out a little bit more about the online groups meeting. So sorry for disregarding you in this moment. Thanks. Let's continue our worship.